But much more than being back here, it's good to be back here with you guys. It's good to be back in the church worshiping the Lord. Um, it was it was pretty overwhelming just to step back into uh, worship in, in song again. Um, yeah. Israel was, as it always is, awesome. It's just awesome. Uh, weather-wise, I don't think we could have asked for better except for one Tuesday when it was 110. That was pretty interesting. And we did spend... I think the most of that afternoon sitting in very cool, fresh water talking. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, we had many great experiences and encounters, uh, meeting new people. Martha and I reconnected with some old friends from Maine who had been embedded there with the Christian embassy for 30 years, tried to come home to retire, and just could not come back into life in Maine and went back with the hope of being able to reconnect. Took them four years in court to get their, uh, what do they call that, not citizenship? Uh, it's something different. Where, yeah, a residency card. Took them four years in court to get a residency card. I guess it never happens. But. So we had dinner with them twice and just reconnecting. They're involved in some very awesome things that they'd like us to be involved with with them um, and support them in prayer. I'll be sharing that with the intercessors in a couple of weeks. Um, they're, they're seeing the U.S. from a perspective that being here, you don't see. And uh, they're in deep, deep prayer and a lot of concern uh, for the well-being of this nation. And so... We'll be fueling the intercessors with some of the insights that they have shared with us and hopefully make some ongoing connection to keep fueling that prayer. Uh, traveling, we were traveling with a good group of companions uh, to both holy sites as well as natural wonders, historic, historically significant locations. And at times, you know, your senses really get overloaded. Like, I don't know how many times someone would stop and just say, I'm in Israel. We're in Israel. You know, or pop open their Bible and say, we're here. We're here. I mean, that is, that is an awesome thing to be able to do. And it allows for a sort of ongoing sense of wonder at both the experience of the moment as well as building up an anticipation of what's coming next. Yo, so for two weeks of very intense uh, sense overload, you begin to develop an understanding of what it feels like to live in anticipation of next moments in relationship to the Lord, uh, mostly out of the written word, but also out of what he's going to reveal to you, what he's going to allow you to experience, what he's going to allow you to connect with. And there are a lot of daily aha moments. You know, I think at least for me personally, the presence of the Lord showed up often and powerfully, and probably more so this trip than uh, some prior trips. 
during one of our debriefing times on the last night we were there, each of us was sharing our most impacting moments. And it's supposed to be most impacting moment. You can't do that. It has to be plural because there are so many individual impacting moments that you say, like, I warned them the first day. I said, you know, this is like, oh, this is so awesome. I said, I guarantee you three days from now you'll forget this day even happened. You just get so overloaded, you know, and, and that's what happened. So anyways. Uh, when it was my turn, I, I said that overall it was how many times, as many times as I've come here to visit and have profound encounters with the Holy Spirit at certain places like the upper room. When I come back, I still have those experiences. It isn't like you go there once and you get impacted like, oh, this is where it happened. No, his presence is abiding there. So you go there once and you get impacted by that. You go there the second time and sometimes it's even more intense and this time at Gethsemane, it was really cool because this is a high traffic uh, area with tour buses. And so like the Polish tour bus comes in and a Polish priest will do a mass. And so while that mass is going on, you just kind of have to sit on the side and wait for that to end. And if there's any space in between, you get to experience the place. The place is where he sweat blood and surrendered his will to the Father. And there's this stone area where tradition says he stretched himself out before the Father. The angel came and ministered to him. When you walk across that church and you get close to it, you have to go to your knees. I don't care who you are. I, I watch it happen with the tour groups coming in. They're chitter-chattering in there. You know, got kind of a bounce in their step. And as they get halfway across that church floor, everything is quiet and they're getting lower. And by the time they reach that, that stone area, and it's got a, a low fence around it shaped like a crown of thorns, and it goes over like this, you lay yourself across that crown of thorns so that you can put your hands on it. And once your hands touch it, you push yourself a little more so you can get your face right into that stone, and you just lay like that and weep. So we walk in as one monk and us. And we got the whole place to us. <laughs> like seven of us stretched across that fence with our faces in the ground, you know, just weeping and experiencing the presence of the Lord. And it was just like, and I've been there 15, 16 times, and it's not any different than the first time I was there, you know. It's just so awesome. At the garden tomb, we had prophetic prayer for healing. We uh, went to the garden tomb, and they, they provide a little tour to connect the location to the scriptures in John, um, which is really phenomenal. And then they give us a little area, a private area with some type of covering and a table, and they have communion elements there for us, little things of grape juice and, and the matzah crackers, and we do communion. And... Uh, we have a time of prayer. Maybe we'll sing a, a couple of songs. And then, bam, Holy Spirit fell in prophetic healing ministry for one of the couples. Uh, she had had a dream where the Lord had 
said he was going to heal her on this trip, but he wanted to offer her the choice of what the healing would be. She has a physical problem, but she also has some deep-seated personal stuff going on, and she was trying to wrestle through what it was that she could say to the Lord, you know, heal me in this area that might in turn impact the other area. You know, some people who have uh, really bad physical stuff, the problem isn't the physical, it's, it's stuff going on inside that they can't let go of. And the Lord touches them there and the physical stuff dissipates, you know. And uh, he just poured out uh, this prophetic unction on her going way back in deep things. I could, I could see as things were spoken the reality of touching those things, things that weren't known except to her and the Lord, you know. And that was really awesome. And uh, we have encounters like that in in the garden tomb all the time. I remember a few years ago we were sitting way off to the side. We are just watching the crowds going on. And on the other side, on a bench, there's this old, old couple sitting there. And I see the woman get up, and she's probably 90-ish, and she fell forward. She tripped on one of the flagstones, fell forward, and her hand came down on a sharp stone and pierced her hand. And she gets up, and her hand's filling up with blood. And her husband, uh, he's, you know, in his night, he doesn't know what to do in that kind of sense. So I get up, I got a little kit in my bag, and I go over, and I pour water, and I dress her hand, and I bandage it. You know, Martha comes over and find out what they're doing. And they were, they were Jewish. And... One of their friends is a volunteer there and had uh, some free time for lunch, and they were just waiting for him to be released so they could go leave leave the compound and go have lunch together. They knew nothing about Jesus or any of that, and we said, well, can we pray for you? We prayed for them, and at the end, she, she said, I'm over 90 years old, and all my life, no one ever has ever prayed for me. You are the first to ever pray for us. You know, it's like the Lord is there in these places, these physical locations where he had encounters in the flesh. And the the residue of that continues to impact down through time and space and life to continue to minister his grace and his goodness. And to be involved in that, to take these little moments of connection and see the Lord at work is just so, so powerful. We were at the place where Peter denied uh, Jesus three times. This is the house of Cornelius. And uh, there's a special staircase. They've now named it the Holy Staircase because they just have to name things. And once they name it, then they put a fence around it so you can't go near it. <laughs> Which is just that religious spirit still at work, you know. So, so, so we, were, we were exited, and as we're going around, there was this black nun there, and um, every time I'd see her, she would just get highlighted, and, and I knew the Lord had something for her. The Lord had something for her two or three times. And as we're exiting, she's sitting on a bench, and I'm walking by here, and I stop, and I get down on one knee, and I take her hand, and I say, you know, uh, I just begin to tell her how much the Lord uh, cares for her, loves her, so appreciates that she had given up 
her life at home to come here to make him her husband. And I said, don't be concerned with the family member you've left behind and the trouble he's experiencing now. The Lord loves him as much as he loves you. Now, when I said family member back home, the tears stuck. And so I was able to comfort her about a concern that she had about a relative in Africa here at the house of Caiaphas, where Jesus was imprisoned and beaten and mocked overnight. His presence, his yearning for her was expressed through our presence there 2,000 years later. You know how awesome that is to be able to connect the events with the reality of our lives because Christ is in us. He remembers all that. Oh, yeah, I remember being here. I remember the thoughts I had for you while going through this. You know, I've often thought about that. You know, when he was being scourged, when he was hanging on the cross, did he think of me? Did he look down through time and get a glimpse of this moment here where we're gathered together and we're talking about him? I know Malachi says, a book of remembrance is open, and they shall be mine, says the Lord, in that day when I make up my unique and special treasure. You know, did he see that? Did he look down? Did he say, ah, and I see Dick coming into this place and the need in her heart, and I'm going to connect it right here from the cross, right here from the flogging post, right here in my suffering and yearning to bring salvation. I'm going to make that connection now. And then on my throne of grace, watch it happen. And say, yeah, yeah. These are highly impacting experience, and I think each of the team members had their own life-altering moments. Did you have one, Pat? Mm. Several, I think. One of my personal goals on this trip was to try to bring some balance into my ministry life. If any of you uh, know me and watch my activity level, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. What'd you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have uh, come to the realization as of late that my soul has been wearied for a while. And so a lot of what I've been doing has just been the cumulative momentum of what I've always done. Thus, more me and less Jesus, which is really unhealthy for the soul. <laughs> and certainly, my own strength as opposed to his spirit. So I took this book with me on soul care and uh, to read, and which has been very impacting, I mean, the Lord has just used it like a classroom for me during the trip. It's been very powerful. But beyond that, I've been delighted to discover that Jesus is very interested in being involved in my process of finding rest for my soul. I mean, he connected with me on this thing, on the plane over, you know, and it was really cool. So there have been a number of great teaching moments along the way for me. And the first lesson I learned is this. Jesus desires us way more than he desires what we can do for him. 
Lesson number one. He wants you more than he wants your works. He wants me more than he wants my works. And for a lot of us, that's hard to translate into our apprehension of him involved in our lives. So Mark 3.13 is talking about Jesus. He says, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Do you know where he was, Pat? Our bell. Our bell. We stayed at the base of this mountain for a week, looking right up at the high mountain where he called the 12 to himself, those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus appointed the 12 to do what? Miracles, healing, deliverance, to learn to preach and pray or maybe run a small group or feed multitudes. Yes, all of that. But first thing, the first thing before any of that was this. The primary thing was that he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. That was the call. The call was not the preaching. The call was not the miracles. The call was not the service. The call was, come up here and be with me. And out of that comes appointment. Out of that comes ministry. Out of that comes opportunity. And I think uh, oftentimes after a period of time of of living in a response to that call, come and be with me, we tend to flip it over, don't we? If I'm going to be with, well, I gotta do things right if I'm gonna be with him. I gotta be sinless or keep this or make sure I do this or don't do that or, or whatever so I can be with him. But he puts it in the front end, not the back end. Emmanuel. God with us. And Emmanuel, God with us, wants us with him. But then again, it was the original intent. In Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had created. So he created him somewhere over here, and then put him in an environment different than what he was created out of. Aren't you glad he did that to you? Aren't you glad he pulled you out of where you were and placed you into where he is? Mm, I am. So what is going on in Eden between God and man, between God and Adam and Eve, the most profound and impacting clue that we have is the moments leading up to the loss of all that had been going on. When Adam and Eve had sinned and God showed up at the end of the day, Genesis 3.8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. What could that sound like? I mean, Jesus said of the Father, God is a spirit. 
What's it sound like for a spirit to come walking through a garden? But they knew that sound. They knew that sound. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to them. Even though they hid themselves. And, and listen, he's not unaware. You know, like, where'd they go? <laughs> I'm stymied. I thought they were here. What happened? <laughs> Count to ten, God. We're going to go high. You know? <laughs> but the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. This is a first, but it's not a last, is it? Fear has had its sway. God put Adam and Eve in his, in his garden so that he could be with them every day. Like little children, they would hear the sound of him walking in the garden, calling out their names, and I can imagine them running to his presence to feel his love and affection wash over them. Did you see those two little ones when they came in? I mean, there's the garden scene. That is the garden scene. Grampy, Grampy, Abba, Abba, Father, Father, embrace me, love me, protect me, keep me, find me, speak my name, laugh with me, have joy with me. This is the garden, and Jesus says, be like little children. Don't lose the garden. And we lose the garden when we lose our souls. They came to God, and God was with them, Emmanuel. And all through the Bible, we see God and certain individuals who could press through the fallen nature and sin-saturated atmosphere outside of God's best and deepest desire for fellowship and connect long enough to walk with him. Just long enough to walk with him for an adventure, for the miraculous, because they had been with God, they had found a garden path in their soul, found a place of rest, ceased from their own works long enough for God to work through them, Pure and simple, it is the deep desire of the Father's heart for us. Here are a few examples of individuals from the scripture. Enoch in Genesis 5.21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, that's mine. I'm claiming this, I'm 65 this year. Right? He fathered Methuselah. I'll, I'll skip that part. <laughs> I saw her in, in, in Walmart yesterday. It's, it's just over. <laughs> uh, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. He had a garden in his soul. After he fathered Methuselah, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. So for 300 years at least, Enoch walked with God. 
He had gotten a hold of something. He had gotten a hold of the reality of the garden planted in his soul, and he exercised that every day for 300 years. And what stopped him? Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. That's what stopped him. He just kept walking. The heavens opened, and off he went, him and God. In some deep discussion, and all of a sudden, Enoch turns around and thinks, where the heck am I? (laughs) Right? Wow. Isn't that awesome? He walked with God. Walked right into eternity. How about Joseph? Joseph, the despised brother of the 12 tribes of Israel. His father loved him best. A dreamer. Prophetic dreamer, troublemaker, right? Brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, right? Ends up in prison. Everything seems to be going downhill. But listen to this. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, this is in Acts 7, 9, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. What? In the pit looking up, listening to his own brothers, bargaining a price for his life. Just like Jesus, 30 pieces of silver in the pit. God was with him. When his master's wife tried to seduce him, God was with him. Should I offend my master and God? Do you think I'm going to do that for you? It cost him jail time. Who was with him in the prison? God was with him. But God was with him. He was walking with God. And I got to tell you, when you're walking with God, the environment, the circumstance, and the situation don't matter as much as the fact that you have a companion. And rescued him out of all his afflictions. It gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household because he was walking with God. Or <laughs> how about Jesus? How about Jesus? We've been that all morning long. I can't believe the way this guy selects songs and stuff just... In tune, Acts 10.38, this is Peter preaching to the household of Cornelius, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Yay, Jesus. (laughs) Yay, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, God was with him. Did you catch this thing? Did you just catch this? This blew my mind when I caught it. Listen to this. Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But, I love these things. But, but, 
as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is going about doing good because God is with him. But he's Emmanuel, God with us, and God is with him. So he's hanging out with himself, expressing the fullness of the Godhead, right? This blows my mind. The Emmanuel is being emmanuel So what's he doing to us? He's Emmanueling us so that God can be with others through us. In Jesus, Emmanuel, God with him becomes God with us. And this is not mere semantics. This is turn the world upside down reality. And the world take note, takes note of it. Listen to this in Acts 4, 5. This is after uh, Peter and John had healed the beggar at the gate beautiful. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's been Emmanueled, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Emmanuel, God with us, who had God with him, who is now in me expressing God to you. whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. What were they? Did you hear that argument? And they were what? Uneducated common men who had been Emmanueled. They were astonished. And they recognized <laughs> that they had been with Jesus. How's your identity? How's your soul? Do you have a garden path running through your soul? I don't know. 
don't even know what my soul looks like. Listen, I know that Jesus is with you today because he promised. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But where are you today in relation to him? Are you with him right now? I'm just going to ask you to do something. It might seem a little hokey, but what the heck? I've got jet lag. I can pull this stuff off. Right. I won't remember this next week. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to just settle your own heart, your own mind. Just find a quiet spot within yourself. And I want you to do what the Bible said David did. I want you to command your soul. And find the place that responds to that command and begin to explore it. It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? Hebrews 4.9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That rest abides in the place that you call your soul. We're all familiar with our flesh. We all know what it means to experience our spirit, whether you're praying in tongues or presence of God and you start weeping, that's your spirit. But do you know your own soul? Because when you breathe your last breath, your soul is what stands before Christ. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So in your heart, in your soul, draw near to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. You who were the breath that became the life that allowed Adam to become a living creature. You who formed the first human soul. And I can imagine you looking at that and saying, ah, a resting place for me. I ask you, Holy Spirit, as we begin an exploration of our own souls, that you would come alongside us to instruct us, to enable us, Lord, to bring us to that place of rest, that we find the garden path that runs through our soul, that we might walk with you and find eternity in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So listen, if you need any prayer, I'm going to hang out here a little while. I don't know if I'll make any sense to you if I pray for you. But I'm willing to anyways. So 
Otherwise, you dismiss, go in peace, and do an exercise. Get a book on soul care. Begin to explore a part of you that I think so many of us have lost sight of. Lord bless you. Thanks.